The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. As most of you know, we've been walking through the book of 1 Peter together. Um, And as we've done each week, we've reminded ourselves of the purpose um, of Peter writing this letter. He gives us that, that purpose in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. He says, I've written you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God, so stand firm in it. In other words, this is the gospel, so stand firm in the gospel. That's Peter's challenge to these early Christians. These are Christians who have been facing persecution. These are Christians who uh, are about to face even greater persecution under the emperor Nero. And this is the letter that Peter chooses to write to them under this context, knowing that amidst persecution is happening, um, he tells them, stand firm in the gospel. Things are going to get hard. Things are going to get harder than they are now, but stand firm in the gospel. And so remember, he starts off the letter by talking about the importance of remembering your salvation and surrendering in real faith, walking in sanctification, and growing in your faith. Listen, these are the basics. That's the basics of the Christian life is remembering your salvation, understanding what the gospel is, surrendering to it in real faith, growing in sanctification through the power of the Holy Spirit, and maturing in that faith. Then we got into what real faith, sanctification, and Christian maturity actually looks like. And it's a lot more than what our modern Christian culture has purported it to be. What we've read over the past several weeks and what we've come to understand about what the gospel is and what the Christian life is, we've come to a conclusion that what the Christian life is is so much greater than what the 21st century Christian culture has told us it is. If we're genuine in our faith and the Holy Spirit really lives in us and is sanctifying us and we are growing in our spiritual maturity, our lives will be lived for the glory of God. This is more than church attendance and Christian t-shirts and Christian music and Christian morality and Bible studies and growth groups and equip classes. This goes beyond serving one hour a week in the kids' ministry and bringing a casserole for the church potluck. Right? This Christian life is bigger than all of those things. This is living for the glory of God over your own desires and freedoms. This means God's will takes priority over your spouse. It means God's will takes priority over your children, over your comforts, over your leisure, over your fears, over your uncertainties, over your ambitions, over your insecurities, and over your pride. It means God's glory is more important to you than anything else in this life. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to surrender to Jesus as Lord. It's bigger than just normal church culture stuff. It really means giving your life to God and living for his glory in all things. And so how does this play out in relation to what Peter's talking about in this letter as we've been studying together? It means you submit to and honor the governing authorities even when they're not worthy because it brings glory to God. 
It means you endure unjust suffering because it brings glory to God. It means you submit to and respect your husbands with humility and peaceableness for the glory of God. It means you love and sacrifice for your wife and lead your family well for the glory of God. And it means that your testimony, how you live your life in this fallen and broken world, matters more than your own rights. More than your own desires, more than your own pride, because God can and will use your testimony for his glory. How Christians live in the culture matters, because God will use our testimony for his glory. So how we respond to our political leaders, whether they're good or bad, or and how we respond to unjust suffering, how we respond to our spouse and lead our family, all of that matters because God wants to use our response to build his kingdom. And here's the kicker, that should matter to you more than your own heart's desires. God being glorified in your life and through your testimony and how you live your life should matter to you more than anything else in this life. As a Christian, God's glory should matter to you more than anything. Paul Praise this for the Colossians. In Colossians 1, verse 9, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Paul's prayer for these Christians in Colossae is that God would, that they would gain an understanding of who God is, that they would grow in their knowledge of God and that that would lead them to glorify God with their life. In other words, Paul prays the Colossians would glorify God with all of their being. It's important that we prioritize understanding who God is. That we prioritize spending time in the word to know who he is so that we know how to glorify him. Because I think all of us have our own perceptions of who God is. Maybe it's based on how you grew up or uh, maybe, you know, what you understand about who God is, or maybe it's just in your own mind who you think God should be. We all have these ideas of who God is, but listen to me this morning, God's already revealed who he is in the pages of this book. And so your idea of who God is may not be who he reveals himself to be. And when we gain an understanding of who he is and what he expects, then we can glorify him with our lives. And this is what Peter's writing about as well as we've been going through this letter. And as we'll learn today, that even plays out in how we live together as a church body. So let's read together 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. But on the contrary, give a ble- giving a blessing since you were called to this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. So what is Peter saying about how we should relate to one another as a church body in order to maintain a testimony that is kingdom-focused? Well, first he says, have a godly mindset. Look at verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. 
Again, what's Peter's point in all of this? The point is that our testimony matters, that we should live life in a way that glorifies God. This should be our focus in all of our relational interactions. As we've been going through this, it's been different kind of relationships, right? The government, it was slaves and masters, husbands and wives. Now we're getting into the relational uh, aspects of the church and how we should glorify God in in those relationships. And Peter says, finally, all of you, the church, the body of Christ. Now let's be honest. The testimony of the church has been damaged over the years whether that's from the failures of church leaders or from the apathy and hypocrisy of church members, the church's testimony has been damaged. You meet a lot of lost people who want nothing to do with the church. Not because of who they read God to be, but because of how supposed Christians have revealed who God is in their way that they live their life. I... uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and uh, I've been listening to a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill was a church in the Seattle area. It was led by a pastor named Mark Driscoll. Um, they blew up quick. I mean, they went from running, you know, it was a church plant running basically nothing to running several thousand in just a few years. Uh, and, and most of it was built on this guy named Mark Driscoll, his pa- this pastor, his uh, personality. He was a real strong personality, real dynamic speaker, and uh, a lot of people uh, followed him and and were all about him because of his personality. Unfortunately, part of his personality, too, was that he was a straight-up jerk. (laughs) He was mean to his staff. He was a bully. He uh, had all of this. His focus was not building God's kingdom, but building his own kingdom, and uh, as you listen through the podcast, you kind of see how he evolves in his ministry and how things can become about him. Well, comes out into the, into the media and there's this investigation that comes out about how he's real abusive to his staff and how he's a jerk and there's all these recordings of him cussing his staff out and just all kinds of crazy stuff. And so he ends up uh, resigning over that um, and the church, Mars Hill, who was this massive church in the Seattle area, multiple campuses, is completely gone today. It doesn't even exist. Um, which is incredibly sad. So many lives being changed for the gospel, and all of it's gone. And many, many people, because of this one instance, walked away from the gospel, walked away from God, which is an incredibly sad thing. It's important that the church gets this and focuses on how we're building God's kingdom more than we focus on our own desires and feelings. How many people, I bet if we asked people to raise their hand, every person in here would know someone who has walked away from the faith, walked away from the church because of some kind of interaction like this. Because a pastor was a jerk to them or because someone in the church did something to them or said something to them or because of some kind of conflict within the church and how it was handled in a sinful manner. I bet every single one of us probably could raise our hand and say, yeah, I know somebody like that. Peter's challenging these believers to focus on their testimony, focus on building the kingdom, focus on making disciples. To maintain that focus, 1 Peter says, get your head right. Get your head right. 
That's part of the problem is many of us are all about ourselves. We're focused in on what we think should be. It's all about us. And Peter says, man, you need to get your head right. Have the right mindset. What does that look like? First, he says, be like-minded. Our mindset as Christians should be united. Why? Because we've all been changed by the gospel. We've all surrendered to Jesus as Lord. Our desires and logic have been crucified, and we've adopted the desires and logic of Christ. If that's true about all of us as a church, which it should be, then conflict isn't going to be as big of a deal because we're all focused on what really matters. We're not focused on ourselves. We're focused on the things of Christ. If we all choose to have the mind of Christ, like we're told to in Philippians 2.5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, if we do that, then all this petty stuff kind of just wanes away. This is what it means to crucify the flesh. Our way of thinking is no longer what we rely on. We submit to the mindset of Christ. He is Lord, and we are his disciples. And if that's true about all of us, then we all have the same priorities. We're all focused on the same thing. We're not getting upset over stupid little trivial stuff because we're all focused on advancing God's kingdom. Peter says, stay focused on what really matters. Be like-minded in that. He also says, be sympathetic. Don't get so wrapped up in your own little world that you stop seeing the stuff others are going through. That's really easy in today's time, right? We're busy. we got a lot of stuff going on, and it's hard sometimes for us to put ourselves in the shoes of other people and think about what they have going on. In a similar text, Paul says, Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sympathize with others. Weep with them. I feel like this is where a lot of conflict arises in the church. I have a friend of mine. Uh, he's a much, much older wiser guy. Um, I'm hoping he's watching this so he can hear me call him old, but uh, he goes to another church. He's a good friend of mine, and one time he told me, um, don't take things personal that aren't personal. Don't take everything personal, and, and it was really good advice. When someone offends us, sometimes we just need to stop for a second and maybe give someone the benefit of the doubt. Maybe just understand that what if they're going through something that we don't know about? Maybe they're stressed. Maybe they've lost someone close to them. Maybe they're overwhelmed. Take time to sympathize. Look at things from other angles. Don't always assume the worst. Weep with those who weep. The church should be a people who actually consider and care about each other. We should never grow apathetic towards what someone else is going through. Get emotionally involved. Don't keep your, your church people at a distance. This is our people. The church is a body. This is our family. We should sympathize with one another, weep with each other, care about each other. Don't grow apathetic towards that. Don't keep people emotionally distant. Family. Sympathize. This should be our mindset. He also says love one another. It takes it a step further. It's one thing to sympathize. It's one thing to feel sorry for someone. It's another thing to actually love them. You can weep with those that weep, but love leads us to action. And the church should be a place of love. Jesus talked about this in John 13, 34. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, love for one another will testify to the world around us that we are his followers. That's what it's going to be evidence that we're truly Christians, that we're truly disciples of his, our love. He doesn't say that our knowledge of the scriptures, because anybody can study the Bible. 
He doesn't say our morality because anybody can be self-righteous. He doesn't say our rituals because anyone can be religious. No, Jesus says they're going to know you by how you love one another. That's your testimony, how you love your fellow brother in Christ. Love for each other is essential to maintaining our testimony, and it is the right mindset. He also says be compassionate. This means tender-hearted. It means your heart breaks when you see people hurting. Galatians 6.2, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's be real. There's been a lot of grief lately. There's been a lot of grief in our church lately. You have people dying from COVID. We're hearing about the stuff in Afghanistan. We've got storms that are hitting the coast not too, too far from us. The church is hurting. The church rallies around those that grieve with compassion and we seek to meet needs. And then finally he says, be humble. I feel like all of this and all, of, all kind of relational issues, humility is such an important piece of the puzzle. This idea should sound familiar to most of us. We talked about this in our study of Philippians a few months ago. Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Why do you think there's so much emphasis on this in the Bible? How often do we see the scriptures tell us to be humble, to walk in humility? Every single book in the New Testament pretty much says something about walking in humility. Why do you think that's the case? Because humility is not your natural response. I think a lot of us want to think that we're good people and that, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm very humble. I'm a very humble person. Right? And your pride leads you to say that. Your natural response is not humility because you are self-absorbed. Humility is not likely going to be your first inclination. When conflict arises, we want to defend ourselves. We want to assume our way is the right way. Peter and Paul both tell us to be humble. When conflict arises, our mindset should be one of humility. Not only, not only should we have a godly mindset, but we should also have a godly response. That's the next point, verse 9. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. I'm sure this is true about anybody, but you hear stories sometimes about someone talking trash about you behind your back, right? And what's funny is we think that's never going to get to the person that always does, right? You always hear so-and-so was talking mess about you, and what's your first response? I know what my first response is. Well, who are they to say that? Did you hear about, you know, you start talking about what they did and who they are, right? That's our natural response, Peter says the godly response is to not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but what? To offer a blessing. I wish I could say that I've always gotten that right. Honestly, I haven't. I have traded insult for insult, and it wasn't glorifying to God. It's not our job to set the record straight. That's not your job. When people hurt you, it's not your job to set the record straight. That's the temptation, though, right? We need to defend ourselves. We need to make sure people know the truth. We need to fight for what is right. 
That's, that's the temptation. Paul says in Romans 12, 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not your job to set the record straight. Someone offends you. Someone talks mess about you behind your back. It is not your job to defend yourself. Entrust that to God. Why? Because he's a better judge. He's a better judge than you. Yes, people in the church will hurt you. We're not always going to treat each other right. We're going to fail each other. Relationships are messy. Conflict is unavoidable. But our testimony is on the line. Our testimony is on the line. What matters more to you, your vengeance or God's glory? That's the question you have to ask yourself. When someone comes and they attack you or they say something back to, about you behind your back, you find out about it and your natural inclination is to put up your fists and fight back, in that moment you have to ask yourself what is more important, God's glory and your testimony in this world or your own vengeance. What's more important? As a Christian, it should be God's glory. I bet just about all of us know someone that walked away from the church because of conflict within the church. This is not how this is supposed to be. Our response should be based on our desire to glorify God more than it is based on our anger and pride. When someone hurts you, choose to bless. That's so contrary to our natural response, but Peter says you were called to this. Because of who you are in Christ... This is what your response should be. Because of your identity in Christ, because of what Christ has done for you, your response to conflict and to people attacking you, insulting you, doing evil against you, should be blessing. Not returning evil for evil, not returning insult for insult, but returning it with blessing. Paul talks about this as well in Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. There's no room for vengeance among Christians. There's no room for it. Our testimony is more important to us than that. We not only refrain from returning evil or insult, we choose to bless. Someone does something wrong to you, put your fists down, let God take care of it, and choose to bless that person. Why? Because God's glorified in that, and that matters to you more than anything else. Why would we do something so extreme? Again, because we're living for the glory of God over our own. Our glory doesn't matter. What people think about us doesn't matter. People's perceptions about us does not matter. Our own vengeance doesn't matter. Our anger doesn't matter. Our pride doesn't matter. God's glory is what matters. Our next point is godly pursuit. Verse 10 the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Becca and my sister-in-law, Lauren, are big into treasure hunting. It's like the nerdiest thing about them. Um, we, because they're so into it, we end up tagging along and trying to help them find. And sometimes they've found these things, and there's like, I think they won 750 bucks one time, which that was a good day. I'm not going to lie. It was a pretty good day. 
Um, and so one time, uh, you know, there's these clues that some, you know, they'll do them for like the festivals and stuff. They'll put these clues out, and you have to figure out the clue so that you can figure out where the treasure is. And uh, several years ago, probably about four years ago, they had one for Nederland, and uh, there's these clues all week, and we've kind of been investing a lot of late nights in it, which was kind of dumb. I couldn't get a little too old for that, but uh, we would spend some evenings trying to find this thing, and uh, each day they give you a little piece of the clue leading to the big one at the end. And uh, we'd kind of narrowed it down to Dornboss Park. We were like 90% sure it was at Dornboss Park. And so the night that the pretty much the last clue released, uh, we knew it was going to give us a more accurate location of where it was. So uh, the clue drops, and we know it, if it confirms we're at the right spot. We're at Dornboss Park. That's where it's at. But where it's at Dornboss Park, we're still kind of up in arms. And so everybody's like, when the clue drops, everybody just starts running around like a crazy person, even though you don't really know where it's at because you're like, I just got to be somewhere around here. And you just, everybody starts running on, and then it kind of slows down, and people realize, all right, we've got to figure this clue out because it's got to give us the exact direction of where it's at. So you kind of come back, and you huddle, and you look around. And I had kind of wandered off by myself. I think Stephen was with me, and we kind of uh, were reading through the clue, and I, I feel like I figure it out, like I figured out the clue. And so I kind of get, like, really excited because it's the first time I've, I've ever been smart enough to actually figure it out. Usually it's them that figure it out, and then I'm just there uh, to help search. But... I think I figure it out, and I figure out it's in it's in the water, in the pond, and uh, and so sure enough, I'm like the search is on. Like there's this intense like I'm so excited I'm about to find three hundred fifty dollars, and uh, I start like digging my arm super deep in that nasty duck poop water, and uh, I'm, I, it, I'm rubbing my arm like all across this brick, you know, the brick stuff that's out there because I'm thinking it's 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 there. Sure enough, my hand hits this little envelope thing and it's you know those little waterproof phone things with a fishing string off the brick way deep into the water and luckily I've got these really long arms that was I was able to find it 350 bucks I was so excited the intensity of searching though was like super super exciting because I've got this figured out and I'm going to search for it with all that I am I'm willing to get like duck poop water all over my hand it's okay I think I had to take antibiotics after that but uh it, it, it worked out. Peter says, if you want to love life and see good days, seek and pursue peace. We all want that. We all want that. We, we want our lives to be fulfilling. We want to enjoy our life. Peter says, seek and pursue peace. And the language Peter uses here isn't just a trivial search. It's not like, oh, I'm going to just kind of look forward as I go along through life. No, it communicates real intentionality. It's an intense pursuit of something. In other words, peace isn't always going to be something that's easy to find. Peace in this world is not always going to be something that's easy to find, but Peter says, pursue it, search for it. Be diligent about searching for peace in this life. It's going to require work. It's going to require humility. It's going to require intentionality. What does Peter say pursuing peace looks like? It looks like keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. That's not easy, right? Especially if someone attacks you. You're quick to throw something back out. It looks like guarding your mouth. 
That's something that gets us in trouble sometimes. Paul talks about that as well in Ephesians 4.29. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Again, what's the theme here? What have we been talking about? Your testimony matters. Don't use your mouth to tear down even if someone has torn you down with theirs. Use your mouth to build others up. Use your mouth to pursue peace, not stir up division. It also looks like turning away from evil and doing what is good. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. Your flesh and your spirit, if you're a Christian, they're warring against each other constantly. There's this constant battle within your spirit. Flesh against the Holy Spirit, constantly battling against each other. Your flesh is going to drive you towards evil, especially in moments of conflict and especially when someone hurts you. It's important that you get that, that you know that about yourself. We always like to assume that we're, that we're good people and that we're going to make the right choice. But the flesh is going to war against you, especially in moments of conflict and especially in moments when you've been attacked. You have to know that that's coming and be on guard against it. Peter says, don't give in to the flesh. Don't give in to your heart's desires. Choose holiness. Choose peace. Search after it. Pursue it. Why? Because the testimony of the church is on the line. Because God's glory is more important to you than your own fleshly desires. And because building his kingdom takes priority over all other things. So we have a godly mindset, a godly response, a godly pursuit, and finally a godly motive. Verse 12. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. I've been blessed to be married to my best friend. I like to spend time with my wife. Uh, I hear stories about people who don't like to spend time with their spouse and that's really sad to me. You, we, my spouse is my best friend. I, I like to hang out with her. I'm not interested in going and doing something with guys. I would rather hang out with my wife because she's the person I like to hang out with. And uh, I drive her crazy sometimes. She'll be in the living room watching TV, so I'll go in there. I'll let her watch what she wants. Or she'll go into the bedroom and play on her phone, so I go in there. That's the reward of marriage. That's what I tell her all the time. You've married me, you're stuck with me. That's, that's because of our marital commitment, I get to be where she's at. I get to commune with her. That's, that's the beauty of the marriage relationship is that I get to actually have a relationship with my wife. Peter says we pursue peace because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. In other words, we pursue peace because it brings intimacy with God. What greater motive could we have? What greater motive could we have in this life than intimacy with God. Christians live for the glory of God because we genuinely love God and desire a meaningful relationship with Him. John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. If we love God, we'll be about the things of God. That's the point there. If you love God, you're going to be about the things of God. We'll submit to him and pursue the things that he says to pursue. And again, the reward of that is intimacy with God. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Who are we to have this kind of intimacy with God? I think that's sometimes where we get messed up. We've become so 
apathetic towards the gospel. We become so just we've we've heard it so much over the years that we've kind of become cold to the reality of the gospel that you as a human being get to have intimacy with the God that created the universe. You do not deserve that. You deserve his wrath. That's what you deserve. But he has opened up a door so that you can have intimacy with him. And we live our lives for him because we desire that intimacy with him. Because that's of more value than anything else in this world. Psalms 8, verse 3. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him? Who are we? that God would hear our prayers. Who are you? Who am I? That the God who created all things would hear our prayers. Who are we that he would choose to commune with us? Listen, church, this is an unbelievable gospel. An unbelievable reality that the God who created all things cares enough about us that he would desire a relationship with us. Why do you pursue peace? Why do you respond to evil and insult with blessing? Why do you set your mind on the right things? Why do we live for God's glory? Because intimacy with God is worth it. It's worth more than anything our hearts can imagine. It's worth more than money and success. It's more valuable than pride and vengeance. It's more valuable than setting the record straight. It's more valuable than standing up for your ideals. Intimacy with God is our greatest reward. There's nothing greater in this life. We have a lot of pride sometimes. And sometimes we choose being right over being holy. We want to be right in our social interactions. We want to win the argument. But let me tell you this morning, intimacy with God is more valuable than that. It's more valuable than your vindication. It's more valuable than your vengeance. It's more valuable than your anger. It's more valuable than your pride. Let it all go. Let it all go. Trust God to handle that. Trust him to be the better judge. I think the best way to wrap this up this morning is with this question. What is most important to you? What is most important to you? What do you see as valuable? And don't be quick to give the Sunday school answer because you're in a church This is a moment for you to have some honest reflection of your life and who you are and what your choices indicate is important to you. You can't say God's important to you when you have no priority of him in your life other than maybe a Sunday morning worship service. If God's not important to you, if you don't think about him the other six days of the week. What is important to you? What do you see as valuable? What have you devoted your life to? I think if many of us are honest, we've kind of slipped off the path of pursuing God's glory. We've started kind of pursuing our own desires and success and wealth and 
making sure our kids are happy and they're involved in all the things and that they have this good life. These are the things that we start to prioritize and we've really become a people who have an idolatry problem. We've wandered way off the path of living for God's glory. So this morning, it's really important that we're honest with ourselves. What is important to you? What do you value? What have you devoted your life to? Is it God's glory? Is, is that what, what's most important to you? If you call yourself a Christian, it should be. If you call yourself a Christian, then the most important thing to you in this life should be living for God's glory. It should be more important to you than security for your family. It should be more important to you than your kids having a good, comfortable life. It should be more important to you than success. God's glory should be the most important thing to the heart of a Christian. Pursuing the glory of God is the Christian life. That is what the Christian life is. It's not the Christian morality. It's not listening to Air One during the week. It's not wearing the Christian t-shirts. It's not having the scripture on your Instagram account. It's not, it's not even coming to church. The Christian life is all-encompassing because you're living for the glory of God in all things. So when you're at your work and you're doing your job, you're doing it for the glory of God. When you're at home and you're leading your family, you're raising your kids, you're doing it for the glory of God. When you're out interacting with people in the community, you're doing it for the glory of God. We choose God's glory first in every situation. Church life can be messy. If you've been church even for one hour so far, you can probably tell that. Church life is messy. Feelings can get hurt. People will fail. But in the midst of all that, if the body is pursuing the glory of God together, if we're focused on the mission of building his kingdom and making disciples, the testimony of the church will endure. If we're focused on what matters, we don't get wrapped up in the petty little differences. Listen, I'm going I'm to hurt your feelings sometime. You're going to hurt my feelings sometime. Some of you have done it a lot recently. It just is what it is. Those are just normal relational conflicts. It's going to happen in any kind of relationship. But when we're focused on what matters, building God's kingdom and making disciples, then all that little stuff doesn't matter. If you don't get your way, who cares? God's being glorified. If we want our lives to matter, this is what we live for, God's glory. You want your life to matter? You want to have purpose in this life? Stop living for yourself. Stop living for your own desires and your, by your own logic and choose to live for the glory of God. Have the right mindset. Choose humility. Have the right response. Trust God and be a, trust God to be the better judge. Have the right pursuit. Seek peace. Have the right motive. Love God. Obey his commands and enjoy intimacy with him. That's the Christian life. Would you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed?
We're going to have a short invitation this morning. In a moment, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper as a church. This is going to be an opportunity for us to remember the sacrifice that was made so that we could have that intimacy with God. Again, you deserve the wrath of God. That's what you deserve. But because of what Jesus did on a cross, through his death and resurrection, you can have intimacy with God. So this morning, in a moment, we're going to partake in communion, and that's an opportunity for us as Christians to remember the price that was paid, to take just a few seconds, a few minutes, to focus our hearts and minds on that reality and to celebrate that together as a church. But before we get to that, I want to give you an opportunity to deal with any unconfessed sin, any relational conflict that you need to deal with, whatever you got going on in your life, whatever God's convicting you of, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. So Cameron's going to uh, play. I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, the guys are going to come down and start getting ready to pass out the elements. But while all that's going on, either whether it's in your seat there or you want to come down to these altars, deal with what God's doing in your life. If you need to talk to someone about a decision you want to make, you want to talk about how to give your life to Christ, or you want to talk about anything that's going on in your life, whether it's a prayer request or whatever, there's a card in front of you. You can fill that out, drop it off in one of the black boxes on your way out, and we'll call you this week and talk to you about that. We'd love an opportunity to talk to you about what's going on in your life. That's what we live for. That's what we're here for. So however God's leading in this time, my prayer is that you will surrender to that. You'll give yourself to that. As I pray, this will be your opportunity. Father God, we we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the fact that you've opened up a door to intimacy with you. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your mercy. Yet you, you made a way for us to live in that, to walk in that. So God, I pray that in this life that we have, this very short blip on eternity, that we choose to live our every waking moment for your glory. That we don't get wrapped up in our own little kingdoms. We don't get wrapped up in the desires of our flesh. But that we choose for you in all of our interactions. We recognize that our testimony in this world is more important than anything else. That being used by you to build your kingdom is more important than anything else. So God, I pray that in this moment, as we have a brief moment respond to this word here in First Peter. God, I pray that you would move. I pray that your spirit would move. I pray that your spirit would convict our hearts of sin and idolatry and rebellion and pride and anger. I pray that your spirit would move during this time and chisel away those things out of our heart. God, I pray that we would be sanctified in this moment by your spirit. God, if anyone doesn't know you, 
they don't have a relationship with you, I pray, Lord, that they would choose to seek that out this morning. Whether that's through a conversation with one of us before they leave or by filling out a card and allowing us to call them this week, God, I pray that that decision would be made this morning. God, we pray that you would move during this time. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.